Welcome to the Woke Blokes podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. What does that mean? Yeah, fool. <laughs> before we turn the mics on, Nick was doing his best impersonation of a aging white rapper. No, well, I realised because I actually listen back to our podcast, unlike you, I, I like to do some homework and try and improve. You just think you're woke as fuck and you don't have to do any more work. <laughs> and I realised listening to my voice, I kind of tend to get down here sometimes. So today and, and in future, I'm, I'm keeping it here, I'm bringing it. It's like, a what would you call that, a higher octave? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm more, I'm more in it instead of just sort of... Because that happens when you try and, you know, when you want to say something profound or, or important, you tend to like, like I do it as well, you just get a bit more serious and a bit more lower and yeah, this is the meaning of So life. it's profound when you drive through Maccas, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before we came on, I was telling Ryan about my, my insight into my deep voice and he goes, yeah, I do the same when I drive through McDonald's and my voice drops down and then he just says it happens when he's being profound. So. Look. I think a lot of a lot of our work that we do on ourselves is around bringing the unconscious to the conscious. I was unconscious of the fact until Melissa, my partner, was in, been in the car with me when we've gone through the drive-through at Macca's or KFC or whatever. I'll be like talking to her. I'm like, "Yeah, and we're doing this, and this is going on." Then I get to that that speaker, and I'm like, "Yeah, how are you going? Can I get a uh, medium big Mac meal, uh, Coke for the drink, and a McChicken burger?" Coming to you live so. from the Nissan Navara. And she's like, "Do you know that you lower your voice about?" <laughs> three notches <laughs> when you're speaking to the young girl on the other side of the Maccas and I'm like no I didn't babe but now yeah. I do so now it's a bit of an ongoing joke yeah thank you but but yeah so I'm keeping my energy up here and I was I like to try and 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 get my because you, you're very well spoken I listen to you and you, you is that a compliment you speak very well you pronounce everything clearly and concisely and then I listen to me and I sound like a freaking bogan that's just stepped out but, of the you said like how I don't listen to myself. I spent heaps of time listening to myself yeah. in the past. Yes. So then yeah, when you – because I, I always cause I do a lot of videos and stuff as well. And people are like, oh, you're comfortable in front of the camera or in front of a microphone. And I'm like, yeah, I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> like I 100% wasn't. I had a mate, Milos. Shout out to Milos. He's been on the podcast, one of my best Milosh. mates. Brother from another, another mother. And we uh, – he used to always put me in front of the camera. Like just on the spot. He's like, hey, you're going to do a talk in front of these people here. We're about to record a video. I'm going to post later and just put me on the spot. And I would get anxious as hell and fumble over my words and everything. And um, he would also – we got WhatsApp back when WhatsApp was was very new. But their, their voice record function was, um, you know, state of the art at that time. Like Facebook weren't mm. doing it and that kind of thing. And so we'd do a lot of – speaking over this voice note app and then listening back to what we'd said again over and over again yeah, and right. it's like people you know what most people are like when they hear their voice like <laughs> do i sound like that fingernails down the blackboard <laughs> pretty much but then once you get over that hey that's how i sound because it's always different to how we hear ourselves in our yeah. head then you start to like can critically look at yourself and go oh I always speak too fast. Yeah. Um, well, these, I, these words, you know. I picked up and I just did it then. Did I always jump over the top of you? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like I've got the messiest handwriting and I've learned it's because my brain is going faster than my hand can go. Yeah. And so when I when a thought comes into my head, my mouth just starts going because it's like, ah. Uh, yeah. 
I, 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 I am getting better at that as well because I used to do that a lot because mm. as soon as yeah, I get the thought in my head, I have to get it out. And then even if someone else is speaking, it's like I'm worried that that nugget that I've got in my head is going to disappear and I'm not going to be able to convey it. So I had to like, for me, because my mind's so fucking hectic, I had to be like, mate, if you forget it, it's okay. <laughs> like if it's important, it'll come up again, yeah. you know, just, just let that person speak. And at the end, if you don't have something to say, then you don't. The train's left the station, but it will return if it's if it's meant to. should be back there on time at some point. <laughs> Otherwise, it wasn't that exciting anyway. So anyway, to, to round all this weird intro off, uh, check yourself before you wreck yourself. I forgot that's what we're talking about. <laughs> is, is what I was saying before we came in here because I was trying to stay in this and I'm check yourself before and trying to stay in this higher sort of energy yeah and I, we, we, we went well, what is wreck yourself so if you know what wreck yourself means so it must i think it must context? be check in with yourself before you do something stupid <laughs> have you seen have you said i'm gonna have to we'll have to post this on our instagram oh we're on instagram by the way uh woke, we? woke blokes podcast woke blokes podcast so check us out on there and i'll, I'll post this link to this peter Moore and dudley dudley What's his name? Bloody Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Right. <laughs> and like this is from the 60s, this comedy skit. And Dudley Moore is playing the piano and Peter Cook is is interviewing him. And Dudley Moore is playing this black um, R&B singer and he's clearly this white English dude. <laughs> and, and, and Peter Cook's role is to try and decipher what he's singing. And so he's like... Mama's got a brand new bag, yeah! And then Peter Cook will be like, so the mother in Harlem has gone down to the street market and, and found herself a brightly coloured bag and, and, and Dudley Moore's going, yes, yes, there's sequins on it and it's got... Um, yeah, so they, they go They're translating. Yeah, they go going, yeah. It's a classic, classic comedy skit if, you, if you've got it. So I think check yourself is, yeah, checking in with yourself before you Because we've yourself. had that a few times whenever we come up with, like, or we naturally say one of those sayings or the me and you is like, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. Like one that started weeks ago was like, when push comes to shove. No, if, if push comes to shove. Because you're like, oh, if we get a guest on, which we got in the last episode, but this was before, you know, what what are we going to do about, you know, a third microphone? And you're like, oh, we could share one. And I'm like, oh, we could if push came to shove. And you're like, what does that even mean? Like, are we going to start pushing and then shoving each other in order to come to this decision? Well, another another term for that is we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, which, which makes sense. Yeah. But push comes when push comes to shove. When I if, push you, if push comes to shove, if I push you, it's going to come to a shove. Yeah. Is, is a push a shove? What's the difference between uh, a push I, and I a imagine shove? a shove would be a forceful push. People, so it's like so things have escalated. I think things have escalated in here because people are falling asleep listening to this intro. I think. No, they're not. No, they're yeah. not. What are we? All right, let's get into the topic of the day. Good. What are we talking about? Good. Laws. So, for those of you that aren't aware, Ryan um, is the Centre for Healing. He operates out of the Centre for Healing. That's his. It's his I'm baby. not the Centre for Healing, but this is my baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's in Cheltenham, uh, in suburbia Melbourne, and I am probably forty minutes down south on the Mornington Peninsula. I've got lovely beaches and wineries and bushland around me and and I drive up here every every time we do a podcast. And I'm driving here today and I drive past a policeman who's pulled some dude over. You know, just a workman in his ute. Um, and everyone's slowing down. And, and this thought popped up in my head and I'm like, 
when did we sign up to partake within these laws? When did we agree to the terms of these laws and go, yep, you know what, they're, they're, I'm, I'm happy to abide by them. It's, And it just got me thinking, we're sort of, uh, it's sort of imposed on us this, this law system because it's not the laws of nature, it's not the law of gravity, it's not the law of physics, it's not it's not these universal laws, there's these man-made constructed laws. And this dude has done whatever he's done, I don't know, I got there after it, but you know, where did we sign up for them? Well, we didn't. So we... All right, good chat. That's the uh, end of the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we personally didn't sign up, but yeah, these laws are kind of agreed upon not by us but people that govern us and this is I don't and I don't there's so many laws I don't agree with um, but I think there's a large group of people and then the people who are governing those people are like hey these people are stupid <laughs> but there's so many laws we don't know as well like there's laws on yeah. top of laws and, and I guess what got us talking over ramen shout out to Aji Sen in uh, Southland beautiful ramen uh, they're an unofficial sponsor yeah. um is that uh, where was I going with that? Unofficial sponsor is in they don't know about us and we just eat there <laughs> before podcasts. <laughs> uh, no, what was I going to say um, before that? About the laws. So there's some laws that we don't know about. Some laws are stacked on top. Yeah, of Yeah, and other. how old are these laws? Mm. You know, so well, some laws can be a hundred years old. Some can be a month old. Um, but I think it's sort of saying, hey, this large group of people needs to be kept in check because they're stupid and will do stupid things. Um, so now we're going to decide that this is for the safety of the whole, these laws, even though some might be, some mightn't be. But it's so odd, isn't it, that, that we don't we don't get to question them. We just have to abide by them. It's, yep. it's one, immediately one of our basic human needs is the sense of freedom is compromised mm-hmm. because we don't get a say. We have to abide by those laws and if we don't, we get punished and we get would, fined. Would there have been laws in, you know, say when we were in hunter-gatherer tribes in groups of 30 to 50, I imagine would there have been laws in those tribes? I think there would have, but there would have been not many. Because that's because I'm thinking, like, do we have to have these man-made laws just in order to control the amount of people that we're dealing with? Yeah, well, there'd be chaos. Yeah, So we do need a system uh, as such, I think. But I think a lot of it, the system that we're currently in is archaic. And what what came to my mind after seeing this dude there and realising that these laws have been imposed on us is whoever's writing these laws, why don't we come up with better laws? Why isn't there a law that we have to be compassionate to everybody? Oof. I like that law. Why isn't there a law that we have to treat ourselves well mm. and that we can't damage the planet and we can't, you know... Why isn't there better laws is, is really yep. the question. Well, I wonder, I wonder how you would govern that. How would you govern a law that says you have to be compassionate to other human beings you'd have to you'd have to make some sort of definition of what compassion and what no but what would happen is you'd have to teach compassion first right and we teach we go and learn how to drive we teach people how to drive at 60 kilometers an hour we we teach people the definition if you will between right and wrong um but we're not teaching people compassion and empathy and kindness and love and acceptance and forgiveness and all these fundamental things i think i think the essence of what i was trying to get at is we i think we've missed the mark in mm. bettering ourselves and yeah. and 
So I think maybe it's do, do we need to then be teaching young kids instead of the whole what we're teaching early on is all the things not to do, maybe the number one rule should be teaching compassion. How many, how many times there. have you used Pythagoras theory? Um, it's a good theory. <laughs> and and I can't say there's been a massive amount of times in my life where I've looked at a triangle and went, I need to know the length of that hypotenuse. <laughs> Uh, uh, it's a good theory. That's not my question. How many times have you used Pythagoras theory since I finished school? Yeah, I I can't recall it. I'm really trying to just come up with some tell. obscure way tell. that I've used it, and no, I haven't. Yeah, you really want there to be a time just so you can stick it back to me? Can it, yeah, you? I you do. do. <laughs> I do, and I 100 percent do, and I can't. So suffering yeah, jocks. That or uh, what was the other? The geometry one. Remember Sokotoa? Remember that one? No. No, it was, no, it was like S O H something. Yeah, anyway, another yeah. one though. But That's no, I, I haven't used them. So and, I, I, and I like maths. Good. good. Okay, great. But there, what, what I'm saying is that we learn, we get forced to learn. All this, this knowledge gets imposed on us. And I'm just wondering if there's a better use of our time in the schools. Like, we're all so different and so unique and so individual. We all have different interests and, and different um, capabilities. Would it not be worth adults spending time learning more about the children and what it is they need? Like, I'm, I still calculate in my head you know, four plus four, one, two, three, eight. You know, I'm far from mathematically minded. Mm -hmm. My skills and talents lie very far away from mathematics. I, I, I needed basic math, I'll give him that, but I don't need all the rest of the shit. So mm. the amount of time that was invested in me and I was forced to sit and spend and listen to this stuff, could have been put to better use? Uh, well, for you, definitely. Yeah. Um, for someone who grows up to be a great mathematician, yes. But I think you're right. I, I remember this, right? This has happened when I went to school. We, um, you know, back when I went to school, where there wasn't a whole lot around, you know, teaching compassion and all that kind of stuff. There was chalk and slates. Yeah, we might, <laughs> we might have had like a one wellness coordinator and that was it. There was no really one else. But anyway, when I was in year 12, we had this day where they uh, some people came in. I think they're from the Reach Foundation or something. And we did this workshop for like half a day. And it was um, absolutely amazing, right? So they got all of the year 12 in. Mm. Um, the, the main sort of things I remember from the day was, you know, picturing the kid in the year who you know, would get the most bullied, yeah? And a lot of us just knew that person straight away and picturing them at home after school sort of in their bed crying and everything. And it was this big day, like nearly everyone in year 12 was crying and everything and, and we were hugging each other at the end. Um, the weird thing was we did that right at the end of year 12. So we had this real bonding exercise <laughs> that brought the whole year together in, in, at a time in your life when you're just trying to fit in and pick on people and that kind of thing. And then the, end, the year was over. And I'm and like, and you all went your separate ways, and we all went our separate ways, and that was it. But that was my taste of learning that more human and compassionate and emotional side, and it was half a day out of the the twelve or thirteen years I was at school. That's an yeah, interesting story because it brings why did the question leaves in my mind why why wasn't that done 
in year seven yep. instead of year twelve. Yep. But I guess the the whole topic around this, uh, I think, comes from when I sit down with a client and and do a discovery session, ninety minutes, and I unpack sort of what MindFit's all about. Ninety uh, percent of them will say at the end of it, "Jesus, that's." that just makes sense that's common sense why isn't this being taught in schools and all i'm teaching people is is acceptance and forgiveness and how to do those things and that everything's impermanent nothing lasts forever if you've got an expectation that this should last then you're going to set yourself up for suffering Mm -hmm. you know and so i'm just i'm just putting things in simple terms like that and people are nodding and going oh yeah yeah and more often than not they walk away from that hour and a half feeling empowered and feeling in a position where they can actually self-manage, self-regulate, self-flagellate. <laughs> <laughs> and take their power well, back. Not self-flagellate, yeah, because they're, they're, they're more accepting and compassionate towards themselves and other people. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, I think, let's go on to some of the laws then um, in regards to human relationships and that kind of thing. You know, we were talking about the family dynamic mm. um, over ramen before, and I think there's a lot of either conscious or subconscious laws that kind of come into play or obligations that we feel towards our family members. Yeah. Um, Just because we're born into this group of people, it means we have to act within a certain dynamic. Yeah, yeah. and that's not always the case. No. Um, I was telling you about an experience I had a couple of nights ago. I went along to a family constellations workshop shout out Edwina in Seaford um, which is helping to it's a modality to help let go of a lot of baggage that isn't yours that's actually generational so passed down from parents grandparents and you said there was like a sandbag thing yeah it was just uh, it was a workshop so basically it was an introduction to what you know this the modality is all about and everything and one of the first things she had us do was stand in a line so everyone's facing the same way there was four of us just um you know Mm -hmm. me in the front someone behind someone behind so if you imagine i'm me then parents behind grandparents behind that and then great grandparents Mm -hmm. and you know we've all got a a sandbag and so it starts with the great grandparents and they've got their sandbag and as they sort of go through life and then they pass their sandbag on to how do they pass it on through um through a lot of their uh, like are we talking DNA and genetics or are we talking just through conditioning Both. and programming? Both. Okay. Both. So what if you've got um, step-grandparents? What if you're not – There's not. what if the biological yeah. chain so, has been So, so you, then you're getting baggage from the biological parents who you might never have known yeah. but you're also getting um, experiential baggage yeah. and, you know, traumas or whatever happened um, which gets passed down generationally yeah. when generational lines don't heal certain parts. Because the, the, the – so many families are splintering yeah. in these day and ages. So. Of course. But this was just a, like a, a visualisation of what yeah, can happen. Cool. So it's, you imagine the sandbag gets passed on to the grandparents, so they've kind of got two sandbags. Then they go through and they hand it to your parents, so your parents have kind of got three sandbags, and then you get it and all of a sudden you've got four sandbags in your hand and you're like, fucking hell, just one was enough, I'm trying to deal with my own shit. So you don't realise that I have a choice and I can put these sandbags down? Yeah, you don't... Well, a lot of people don't realise that a lot of patterns and things that are showing up in their life might be generational. It mightn't just be there's something faulty with them, but this could be stuff that's played out in their genealogical line for, God, could go back far and far. I hear time and time again that people do know it's hereditary, and and I term that as an emotional family heirloom. 
mm-hmm. and it's just been handed down from generation to generation. And people are aware of it, but they don't know how to break it. Yeah, because they're like, oh, fuck, oh god, I'm just I'm exactly like my mother, and and she did this, and I don't want to do that to my kids. But how do I do it differently? And so that's where you've got to get in and change the program, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that's like that's. <laughs> It's an incredible opportunity because if you, if you can heal one of these generational patterns, it kind of it heals all the people that came before, but then all the people that come in the future. Mm. So it's a very strong, you know, responsibility or strong person that can do that. But it, it, it owns being able to heal it within yourself. So what this um, sort of visual visualization was next. So I've got the four sandbags at the front, but it's like you can through different modalities and processes turn back around and keep your bag because you've got your own baggage that you need to work on but hand the three back to your parents can't just hand your baggage off to one of your parents let's let's be fair (laughs) (laughs) with respect so hand it back with respect that this isn't mine and then the parents can hand to the grandparents so we can all sort of you can lighten that load and just work on your own because it's not a conscious thing parents aren't waking up every day going fucking going to hand this shit down to these kids of course and really not it's, it's all subconscious yeah. so it's all the word respect would come from an unknowingness like you don't realise you, you've handed this to me mm. and that's okay but what I'm come to is a place in my life where I'm going to choose to give it back to you because I, I, it's not mine and I, I don't want to be in a position where I hand it yes. on. Yeah. So just, with, yeah, with respect, I'm just going to hand yours back and I've got mine. And um, you're right, all like every single person on the planet is doing the best they can with their current level of consciousness. Yeah. Even if someone had a an alcoholic and abusive father, it's very hard to come to that realisation, but that person's doing the best they have with their current level of consciousness. I like to do that with my dad. But how many listeners out there would have a boss or a partner, a husband, a wife or something that... You know, and they all use the term, geez, they make me angry, they make me upset, yeah. or they make me this. Yeah. And they're like, they don't make you anything. Your reaction is to become that because you're feeling, you know, you're thinking things should be different. Yes. But that person's not responsible for your happiness. They're just doing the best they can. You're doing the best you can. So they, it, come, it brings us back to that forgiveness and compassion. Yep. Doesn't it? It does. I think it's – the thing is, is safe – you, you've got a boss and he's just a cunt and just really mean to you, puts you down at work, all that kind of jazz. Then the thing is, that boss, he hasn't got a fucking great life. Like, he isn't happy. Yeah. He, isn't, he hasn't got an amazing relationship, great kids, business is doing great. He's going out playing golf. He's got a beautiful life. Then he comes to work and just abuses you. Mm. That's not how it works. Hurt people hurt people. You mean he's projecting this? Yeah. <laughs> what? What is this revelation? Ha- happy people don't hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. Oh, stop the press. Stop the presses. Stop the presses. <laughs> um, so anyway, I went, yeah, did this workshop. <laughs> really, really, really cool. Um, and then... Yeah, we were talking about earlier obligations. Like you said to me before we turned the mics on, you said, oh, do you think that some people have to have a relationship with their parents Mm. or their family? And I said no. Yeah, and that question came from uh, me working with so many clients, women in particular in the past, whose children had become toxic. Uh, So they were probably giving their parents sandbags. and they don't they didn't know how to let go of that child or how to stop being there they didn't know 
how to create a disconnect or detach from this sense of duty and this sense of obligation that they had because it's programmed into them you are the mother you must you have to care for this child it's like marriage for better or for worse for richer or poorer you know and and so many of them stay in this toxic relationship and they can't control any of it the child is completely irrational illogical does not have a shred of understanding that they're responsible for their happiness and they're impacting everyone on the rent they don't know the ripple effect they're having but the parents are staying in this relationship because it's so toxic or a wife who's in a relationship with an abusive husband it doesn't matter if it's physical or emotional it's still a toxic relationship it's a toxic relationship and so where's the line for that to press the ejector button and to mm-hmm. get out of there without without remember second podcast or third podcast without that guilt coming through yeah 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 and i think that's um so let's let's use the example of yeah a mother or father with kids could we go personal could we go you as the example with what you did we we can go yeah we can go me um 100 and then we can use another example because mine Mine was an example when stuff was really... Well, I'd like to use both because yours is different to the norm, Correct. I think. Yeah, yeah. So let's start with yours. Okay. You're a weirdo. That's, let's, I'm a, let's, I like to do things differently, <laughs> Nick, all right? You're a weirdo. I've, I'm happy to be a weirdo. <laughs> um, so your background for, for new listeners, just very briefly. So, yeah, I, I, I run the Centre for Healing Now, which is a clinic that helps people with addictions and mental health because um, I myself used to be a drug addict, addicted to ice and GHB, um, used to be a drug dealer, arrested a couple of times, all that jazz. I was lucky enough to address my past and, and turn my life around. But uh, there was, you know, a period, um, sort of the worst of it, because I could, I could use drugs a lot and still be functional and maintain a job and do all that kind of stuff. But then when I became dysfunctional, it all, all fell apart pretty fast and I couldn't, I couldn't... Um, put on a facade anymore mm. you know I couldn't I knew that I couldn't just call my parents or my friends or even catch up and everything would be fine I was too off my face to do that so for me I had so much guilt and shame that I shut my parents out for a, um, maybe about six months or so and that was a long time because I used to speak to my parents every week like yeah, right. you know close relationships so for me I couldn't let them see what I had become so I just completely disconnected, didn't answer phone calls, messages, any of that kind of thing. So they could not contact me. So I kind of, when we're talking about at what point do you keep supporting your children who are fucking up or let them go for mm. now, um, I didn't give my parents that option. And I, but I, I don't hear of many examples of that happening. That's that's why I say you're you're a bit of a, <coughs> a rare species in that regard because the majority. Uh, of experiences I hear about is that the children fall into an addiction, drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. and because they're at the bottom of the barrel, they then go back to the closest source, which is their parents, and I need more money, I need more money. And they they tap into, it's like emotional blackmail. Mm-hmm. It's like, but I'm your son, you have to do this, yeah. you... I need this and, and they tap into the guilt of a mother like it's it's I mean imagine the headspace you have to be in to guilt your mother into doing something like that yeah well it's it's a headspace where nothing else matters yeah. apart from numbing out your own pain and and if you got if you got a hierarchy of values that you normally have like people have values like family friends well that kind mm. of stuff in that it's just 
the drug and it's not the drug but it's what the drug does mm. and that's numb us out from reality because yeah. reality is too painful and then there's a whole bunch of blank spaces before the second thing <laughs> because it, it just becomes so predominant that yeah, you right. um you get so disconnected and don't want to go back to reality that you'll do anything and you try all these things so you know i don't i can't predict what i would have done but you know i dealt drugs to support my habit instead of going to my parents yeah is that a better or worse thing i don't know oh, it's not now why is it now i was lucky enough after i lost everything um when i was arrested and had no sort of worldly possessions that it wasn't too long after that that i was able to get myself out of it but if things kept going longer and i'd exhausted all resources that i could would have i then gone to them i'd I like to think that I wouldn't have, but I don't know. But at what point did you reconnect with them? When I knew that I was going to end up in jail or dead. Mm. So when so I, you'd been arrested, you got let off or whatever. Yeah, I was in, in jail for a couple of nights. I got bailed. Um, Who bailed the, you? Knew, um, I, bailed, I bailed myself. Okay. Yeah. Basically, I, I went in. They, they, You go through a bail here and they're like, no, nah, they're pretty serious charges. You've got to stay in. got to stay in again. Then I was able to get released. Did um, you have to pay money for bail? Uh, no, I just went into a court and it's like a. Oh, it, was right. a it was like <laughs> I'd been in the same um, clothes for like three days. I fucking stunk. I, mm. I hadn't hardly eaten. I was withdrawing from drugs. And then we're in this cell all day. There's like a tiny cell, which is just white, no windows or anything, with six other dudes in the city. And then they wait all day and they call your name. And I'm like, because I, I didn't know what was going on. I was yeah. delirious. And then I'm in handcuffs and I get walked into a big courtroom. Yeah. And there's like <laughs> packed courtroom. There's like kids on excursion from like grade three. And I'm oh, up in the wow. box and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And so it's the, like you've stepped into a, a movie or something. You've come from this mm. white cell into this. Oh, wow. Yeah. We had like, you'd imagine we're in this white cell and there's six dudes and one guy just he was getting more and more agitated. And I'm like, this isn't going to go well, I don't think. Um, and then people were asking what they'd done. And this guy said, oh, I'd stabbed a guy in the neck with some scissors. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. And then anyway, a bit later, they come and they bring these small meals and they slide them through the little yeah, yeah, slit yeah. in the door. Yeah. There's six of us. They put them through, put them through. <laughs> Fifth one. And this guy, the scissor dude, just didn't have a meal. He's yelling out, where the fuck's my meal? And he's banging on the door and like, nah, there's none left. So I'm just like, here, mate, have mine. <laughs> I'm just trying to oh, keep wow. the Placate him keep, at all costs. Keep the peace. <laughs> There's like a toilet in there. We're all bloody pissing in front of it, oh, shit in front of each you, other. Were you the size that you are now? No. Are you a lot? I imagine yeah, yeah. No, I was, a, I was an ice addict. So I was about 15 kilos lighter yeah, um, right. than what I am now. Uh, and, and, and in quite a fragile state yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at that stage too. But anyway, they walked me out into the courtroom. And yeah, I'm in these calves as kids on excursion. And then they reading out the charges. Like the prosecuting police officer that arrested me was there. And anyway, I was luckily uh, enough that... I was on the cusp of a commercial amount of GHB um, and they sort of saw it as just under as opposed to just over. Right. So because of that, I, I got let out that night. Um, yeah, what which is interesting because like? if, if I got caught now, because at the time a, a commercial amount was two litres and I had about two litres on me, which is a fucking lot. Now it's about 200 millilitres. So if, I got, if, I, if, <laughs> if, if, if it was me today, I'd, I would be in jail for quite some time. So what were, I got... Two questions. Uh, what was the relief like coming out of that court? Oh, it was. Yeah, it's, it's. And what headspace were you in? Because you'd been yeah, three yeah, days yeah, withdrawal. Yeah, yeah. It, so what happened? I went into this courtroom. So that got 
you know, they, he goes, yeah, yeah, blah, blah. I still didn't know what was going on. And I looked over at the the woman who actually arrested me and th- they were quite nice. I'd spent like a day with them questioning me and they, they understood I was in the right guy. I was just in a pretty fucked up situation. Were you in cuffs in the courtroom? Or? Yeah. 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 And then, um, so uh, she sort of walked up and she's like, yeah, you, you'll get, you're getting released. So I'm like, yeah. So you go from this just crazy state of loneliness to like elation, like I'm fucking getting out of here. I'm going to turn my life around, <laughs> right? And then what happens, You while she, they go, oh, you just got to go into this other holding cell whilst your um, just stuff's getting processed. Yeah. And I'm like elated. Then all of a sudden I was in that cell for like two or three hours and it felt like a fucking day. With scissor dude. Yeah, and then, and then dudes kept coming in who I think were getting released as well or processed and end up there was a whole bunch of dudes in there and we're just waiting forever. And it's this weird feeling because you were so happy about getting it. Now you're just furious that you're just stuck in this cell. And then you'd hear the the lock on the outside of the door and everyone like jumps up. Like, is it going to be me? It's going to be me. And then someone else comes in. We're like, oh, fuck. And, um, what an interesting scenario because you've gone from three days and an acceptance that I, I am in here to as soon as nothing's changed other than someone said some words mm. and that's given you this sense of freedom. And so now you're champing at the bit to, to get out. Because you're in such a, a lost state that yeah. you'll gl- grasp onto any idea of hope. And then um, so after a couple of hours, yeah, we processed your stuff. They took me downstairs. They gave me a bag of like stuff that I'd come in with, like some jumper and that kind of jazz. And um, Not your two liters. And they went, no, they, they didn't give that back. <laughs> um, and they kind of walked me out. I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, oh, what, what happens now? Do I get back on a bus? Because a bus drove me in on, from another prison. And um, they're like, nah, mate, you're in Melbourne. And just pushed me out in the middle of the city. So it was a Thursday night or maybe 6 p.m., something like that. I'm in the middle of the city. I'm withdrawing. I think I've got this bag of shit that I came Was with. Was that on Flinders Street? No, it's uh, uh, well, more like uh, William and near the courthouse. Okay. Near the courthouse. Yeah. It's called Map is the place called. And um, so I'm out in the middle of the city. People are all finishing work and going home. I'm holding my bag. I'm like, what the fuck? And no one knew really that I'd been... Um, arrested because yeah, right. the people I was with at the time, which was a high-speed car chase, another story. <laughs> um, they, they didn't know. Well, they were new people, kind of thing. Yeah. And um, so I, I went, you know, into a little alcove of some steps, and I'm going through my bag because I'm like, I've got to find, you know, what, you know, what yeah. have I got in here? My, so my phones had all been confiscated because they had messages and evidence and everything. Yeah. And I got my wallet and all the money that I had, like a few grand, was proceeds of crimes so that was taken. My cards were gone, so I had this wallet with nothing in it. And I'm like, I don't have phones. No one knows I'm in the city. What the fuck do I do? Where did you live? Uh, oh, way. I was living out in Murabark, like 50 <laughs> minutes or so, you know. So it's not like, yeah, I'll just cruise along. So I, um, I am fucking starving at this point. And I found in my wallet, I had like a Coles Meyer voucher that someone had bought gear with like a week before, like a you know, $25 whatever Coles Meyer. So I quickly went to Coles, got like some Pringles and a drink because I'm just starving. And then Can I'm you like- go for the roast chicken? <laughs> I was not in a state for roast chicken. I needed easy calories. And um, I was like, okay, do I like stop someone with a phone and ask to use it? Like that's so dodgy. So I end up, I went to, you know, those internet cafes. Yeah. I walked into one of those internet cafes, you know, Indian dudes working there. I'm like, mate, I'll level with you I've been arrested. I've been in remand for a few days. I don't have a phone. I don't have any money. No one knows where I am. 
could I possibly use your internet like Facebook for two minutes? And he just went straight away. He's like, yeah, of course, man, go in. Oh, wow. So I went in, got on my Facebook. Um, girl I was seeing at the time, I messaged her. I'm like, because I had all these messages of people, where the fuck are you? you know? <laughs> um, so I messaged her. I'm like, this is what's happened. I'm in the city. She's like, all right, I'll come and get you now. So she came in and picked me up. The whole time I was in remand, I was like, you know, I'm going to get back in contact with mum and dad. I'm going to get my life together. That's it. No more drugs. I was using half an hour later after she picked me up. I was going to ask. Yeah. Where, where, how do you carry two litres of GHB around? Uh, in <laughs> Just in bottles, like, you know, old Coke bottles and that kind of thing. What do you do? Like, do you just drink it or do you... <laughs> it's... So you use a, a plunger so because all you have <laughs> in, your, in your mouth you're not a syringe but like a, in your mouth because the dosage oh, is like like a toilet plunger <laughs> like how the fuck do you use a plunger and a coke bottle to get the shit in your system <laughs> what, kind of, what are you doing what kind of weird process is this um, so no plunger you squirt it into your mouth because you want about two mils because there's a very fine line with GHB as to what's an effective dose and overdosing you know two mils can be an effective dose three mils can, you can overdose so okay. there's a thousand mil in a litre. So you're cruising around with two thousand mils. You're cruising around with a thousand hits of GHB. Correct. Hey, I did do maths. Hey, there you go. <laughs> hey. Did you use to Pythagoras for that? Fuck no. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, that's that's sort of how that works. Right. So you get out. You're back using. How long after you got out did you hit your parents up? It was, I reckon. A week or two, maybe three, couple of weeks. And what was the thought process behind that? What, what got you to that stage? Because I, all of a sudden now, I had, because I had all my worldly possessions was in drugs or money. All that was gone now. I had access to a lot of drugs. I had, my habit was very bad, so very high amounts every day. Now all of a sudden I've got no money. So my, and my usage was like, I was using 10 or 20% of what I was. So mm. it just it just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't numbing the pain um, like it used to. Mm-hmm. There just wasn't enough drugs. So, um, and I knew that I had this very serious court case coming up. So I decided that this sucks. I'm going to get back in touch with mum and dad and my friends, and I'm going to get myself clean. Mm. Uh, at that point, I was like, I just want to get myself clean for the court case, and I'll just get back on it. Yeah, right. Um, but that's how that's how I decided to let them back in. I've I got to tell you, and I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I'm I'm really proud of you. And that may seem like a weird time to say this, but it, it just popped up because the stories and the depths that you went to to get yourself back in a position where you're sitting here helping so many other people, like the turnaround is phenomenal. And Thank you. I, like I imagine you're proud of yourself, but do you ever stop and every now and then and go I, I I did a good job no not as much as I should yeah me neither yeah mm. I um I did uh, early you know early days you're like oh look I'm pretty proud of what I've achieved and mm. that kind of thing but um now it's like yeah too much too much future focus and that kind of thing and yeah, yeah. Um, I get caught up like I, when you said that I, that felt really good mm-hmm. um, maybe just because you know we're mates and that was that was nice a lot of the time people that come in and will say about you know what an incredible story and I just don't even I acknowledge it but I don't feel anything I'm like yeah because I've you know I've gone over it a lot and you tend to then downplay what it was yeah yeah. because I always it's it's interesting like I've I've got this thing of always downplaying 
um, what happened in my past. Yeah. Like, because so many people have got it worse. Yeah, yeah. So it's not until, like, I tell a story like that and someone's like, oh, that's that's pretty heavy. I'm like, oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm interested in the pain that you spoke of and where that was coming from. And I think that'll be another podcast. Yeah. But, but uh, if you're open to it, um, I'd love to unpack that a little bit and explore that and, 100%. I'll, I'll, and I'll share some of mine as well and 100% um, we will actually that'll be a good one we'll do that on another show but we'll get into all that but so that was my experience of letting my parents back in so at that point you know I let them back in and they were extremely supportive they were obviously stressed out of their mind of not hearing from me and then yeah. obviously finding out your son's a, a drug addict he's been dealing drugs he's been arrested he's written off his car because he overdosed at the wheel all that kind of stuff mm. That's very heavy. But Look um, what we raised. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, was there, have you spoken to them? Was there a lot of guilt and shame on their behalf? Like, this is a byproduct of us. We yeah. must have done something wrong. I think I think um, initially you can't avoid those feelings. Yeah. And that was, and again, one of the reasons why I didn't want to go to them in the first place. Yeah. Because I knew that they would automatically feel bad. Whereas me, I'm just like, oh, I'm fucking, because my whole thing is, or was back then, I just... I did a byproduct of what I went through. I hurt other people, but I didn't mean to. Only mm. through like neglect and not talking. Mm. My whole thing is, I don't give a fuck what I do to myself, mm. but I'm just not going to try and hurt the people that I love. So I imagine early on they would have felt that straight away. And that was when I, I remember when I first went and saw them, and I, you know, there was tears and everything, and I was like, look, you know, this is just me. I fucked up here. Like, yeah, don't yeah. please, don't feel bad. Because here's the thing. If they then went into that state openly and like, oh, we've we've done this, oh, we've done mm. that, then I would feel just horrible. Mm. And guess what? When I feel horrible, what do I want to do back drugs. then? Drugs. Let me do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it goes away. Um, now, that was my experience. Now, the other story that I think, um, which is a more common one, is that the parents have a son or daughter they're going through this scenario mm. they're being really destructive they're taking advantage mm-hmm. of the parents and then at Stealing. what at what point do you set these really strong boundaries and so, say enough so let's imagine there's 10 people listening to this mm-hmm. hopefully more 10,000 10,000 no but 10 of those 10,000 have this going on in their lives right now okay what would we advise these people to do in their situation? Their child is is in drugs. It's either gambling or it's drugs or it's alcohol or whatever the case may be. They're, they're deep in addiction and you know, they're probably living away from home but they keep coming back to the nest and taking from the nest mm-hmm. and, and they're feeling guilty as a parent. They're feeling shame as a parent. They're feeling this sense of duty and obligation to this child. You know, I I must make them happy. I must get them back on track. What do, what do we what do we say to these people? Yeah. So I imagine it like this. <coughs> like with everything in life, there's no one size fits all. There's everyone would like to say what's the formula, and I'm like, well, when they've done this four times and they've done that three times, and this amount of time has elapsed, and we hit this exact date and this exact time, that's when you do it. Here's you cut the, them off. Here's the cookie cutter answer. Yeah, yeah. But like every parents a different person every son or daughter is a different person the dynamic in the relationship is different so the best way to look at it I imagine is some scales I like scale analogies they're good I always talk to people about when they're ready to change I'm like you've got 
the pain of keep doing what you're doing or the pain of change. And when there's, there's yeah. an expression that people only change when the pain of staying where you are yep. becomes greater than the yes. than the pain involved in moving, which is I 100 believe. Or discomfort, 100. Yeah. percent So if you imagine the scales now are, as a parent, I mainly am feeling love and compassion for my son or daughter, and because of that, I want to help them. And then there's this side of you that feels resentment. Now you spoke about guilt. I think resentment is the is the feeling. As soon as the scales tip where you feel way more resentful to your son or daughter than you do love and compassion, you must cut them off at that point. Can that be with a husband or a wife as well? I had a client the other day. I think any relationship. Yeah. I had a client the other day talking about it and there's so many people out there that stay in unhappy relationships with their partner or a spouse. His hand up, I did it. Because uh, you don't know... Mine came from um, my mum's had two divorces and I created a belief, you know, which I programmed myself that, no, nah, fuck it, if I do if I do something right, I'm going to, I'm going to, if I do something, I'm going to do it properly. I'm never going to get divorced. So I'm going to show the world that, you know, and, and it was such an irrational belief and it created an irrational behaviour. Uh, it created a fear. And so I stayed in, a, in what I consider to be a toxic relationship for too long. And I went and spoke to my counsellor and I went, mate, I don't know whether I'm, I don't know where the line is between flogging a dead horse or putting it down before it's, it's needed to. And that was my sort of analogy for it. And I've learnt that lesson now through experience, but there's so many people that come to me and I hear it so often. It's, it's, it's like, well... Um, I'm doing it for the kids' sake or, mm. or it's actually not that bad, you know, I'm not getting beaten up or I'm not getting... I did the, uh, I did a, a session with someone, a couple of years ago now, on this exact thing. What happened? They were, she at the time, in a relationship, a couple of young kids and, um, you know, basically fucking hated her husband. Mm. And, I th- and from what she told me, he, he hated her as well. What, but what happens if they don't hate each other? It's just gone stale. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think, I think it goes stale, and then after a certain amount of staleness, you start to resent your partner. Yeah, okay. That's what I think. So basically, they will call it resentment. They resented each other, and they just—it was just such. The, the main stress in her life was just history. There was no respect, mm. no respect, mm-hmm. and the whole same thing. She's like, "Well, I've got to stay together for the kids. I have to stay together for the kids." We then um, did a session, I don't know if it was that day or, or a week later or something, and we were doing some of the therapy that we use where we do light hypnotherapy and we go back to certain events from childhood so we can process some old emotions. Mm-hmm. Went back to an event uh, when she was younger um, and it was really an event that represented a lot of her childhood where her parents were very disconnected and fighting all the time. Mm-hmm. Her, her parents actually had stayed together yeah. up to that point. We, we ended up processing this emotion because as a kid we take on a lot of our parents shit when they're mm-hmm. going at each other and a sandbag like, yeah a sandbag that that's the exactly a part of the sandbag and then um i'm like you know what are the learnings here what can we take from this and she goes i wish they just had a fucking broken up mm. look it would have they would have been so much happier not being apart but this client knows that and she tells all her friends to do that but she's not practicing what she preaches mm-hmm. she she's you know, emotional intelligence is the ability to be self-aware and self-regulate she's got all the conscious knowledge but she's not turning it into wisdom through application yep. as so many people don't so she knows what her friends should do she knows what you know other people in her life should do but she's she's not applying it herself yeah so she's 
she's essentially giving herself advice in the form of telling other people but not taking not take, any yeah. of the lessons. Yeah. yeah. But then this this client that I had just so is it, is it is sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Is, is it going back to that? She's not in enough discomfort yet. She hasn't reached enough pain to move. Well, it's just for that situation I was talking about. It was just a massive realization that in her life today we must stay together for the kids because that's going to be better for them. However, in her childhood, she realized I wish my parents had split up because that would have been better for everyone. So we've gone full circle back to the laws governing humanity, mm-hmm. and religion is part of the has created some of those laws. And till death do us part. What a fucking irrational <laughs> belief, if anything. Like, yeah. oh, how is that possible for every single person to get married and until death do us part? Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's just, it's like saying, you know, no matter what happens in yeah. the future, too bad. Yeah. This is your lot in Stay. life. Stay. This is your lot. <laughs> oh, it's like a, it's like a bad movie. Yeah. So I think the client that I'm working with, uh, you know, we, we, we turned an hour session into a two-hour session because this came up right at the end of it and we really needed to unpack it. And um, I'm not going to divulge too much, give too much away from the session, but essentially I was trying to get her to fight for herself and there's, there's you said in, in your example there was no respect and there's a lack of respect in here, although he says I love you, but his actions don't back up his words. Mm. And I think he's paying lip service, you know, just as she's paying lip service to her friends saying, no, get out of it, leave him, he's a bastard or whatever, you should leave. But she's not doing that to herself. He's also going, oh, I love you and saying all the right things, but he's not doing it. Like he's controlling the money, yep. the, the sex life's dead and buried. And, and so she's getting nothing of value out of it, but she's staying in it for the kids under this yep. sense of obligation. And something come up recently that actually Melissa said to me you know, about someone else and it's like a lot of the times we will date someone's potential <laughs> I'm the worst at that in the past in the past I, I had oh keep going I learned that lesson so hard. and 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 we always were like we'll, we'll latch on to these little things like maybe some words that we've said mm. and we're like oh this is the person they mm. can be all the time so let me date the potential Praise but me. it is <laughs> Nick's bowing to me hallelujah Melissa said this it was not me <laughs> um, and so we're not in reality we're not so this this guy you're talking about yeah. his actions are who he really is yeah. That the words, like yeah, you said, yeah. are just lip service. Yeah. So are we staying with him because of the words and what potential they have or who they really are? And my counsellor helped me come to an understanding that I li- was living so much of my life, not just my relationship, but my whole entire life, in the potential of what I thought could happen, not in the reality of what is happening. Yeah. And I see that with so many people now that I've broken that illusion within myself. And I see people come into me and they're like, I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I'm this or I'm that. And they start talking. And I'm like, uh, you're in it. You're in this. You're in this balls deep. You're, you're stuck in the reality of what you think should be happening, yeah. the potential of what you think it should be. Like my work. Oh, but if, I, if, it just, if this happens or that happens. So then we get into this outsourcing of our happiness and we, we need X, Y, and Z to happen in order for us to be happy. We need that potential to come into a reality or else we're just going to sit and wait. Yeah, and we normally 
the sit and wait. And then we're like, oh, and then once it's a month, so a little flash comes up. Yeah. Look, there it is. There's the potential. There's a bunch of flowers. Yeah, yeah. It's the worst, <laughs> isn't it? It's just... Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna neglect you and then just give you a bunch of flowers once yeah. a month and that that makes up for it yeah, yeah sure yeah it's a healthy relationship <laughs> no doubt um, so but do we do that with ourselves as well like I I, I, I talk to clients now and I apologise to them because I say one of my superpowers is is a double edged sword I I see the potential in people I see what you can be I see what you can become but. Through once again my own experience, I've had to learn uh, that hardly anyone actually lives up to their potential, you know? me included, and, and I, I think it's unrealistic for us to mm. maybe maybe no one, well, yeah, no one, because you could what is well, human no potential? Per- no one's perfect, are they? No, what? Because yeah, what is human potential? We don't know. No, we we think like you have all these records of what we might think might be human potential. But well, I think human potential is. And this is just popping up in my head. I'm just freestyling. Uh, it's just check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> Let's wreck yourself. Um, I think potential, and I talk to clients about being their true and authentic self. And I don't know. Let's explore this little thread because maybe for me that's potential is, is being free of all of the imposed programming, free of all the sandbags free to think feel act and you know exist as as the true and authentic version of you that is born mm. so yeah i i think i think you'd imagine those sandbags and everything are our maybe our beliefs we have about ourselves in the world that these armor that we wear that we accumulate over a lifetime and then we spend a lot of time trying to peel back that armour then in adulthood to try and get back to the essence of who we are. Now, I think there's a certain amount of armour that comes along with being human. So then can we peel back enough to get... Because I don't think we can get... What am I trying to get at here? I think the aim is to try and get as close as we can to feeling free and feeling authentic. But I don't think we can ever get there. If that makes sense, uh, it does. Yeah, but uh, I mean, the answer is we don't know. This we don't is all know. Just hypothesis. But all, well, something you said earlier, I think, in relating this to ourselves. So we we're talking about the relationship dynamic so around why not the self. Yeah, like seeing someone's dating their potential instead of reality, and then I think if we look at that in the relationship with ourselves, you know, I find myself doing this quite a lot. It's that. I might have a day, you know, or some moments where I feel like I'm really, you know, getting up there with my potential mm. and then I'll get attached to that. And if I'm not doing that, which is 99% of the time, mm. then I will have less of a view of myself and I might beat myself up because I'm like, oh, look what you can be and you're not doing that now. So I, instead of beating myself up because I found there's no value in that, so I stopped doing that a long time ago. I'm going to keep – I keep trying with it for some that, reason. Because you love flagellation. <laughs> Yeah, I've forgotten what that word means again. session. Um, I, I tend to get frustrated and and because I'm like, I find it really difficult to achieve what I want to achieve but then find balance. Like, So my partner you know, came onto the scene a couple of years ago and brought with her this, this little amazing little boy that she's got. Um, and before that it was just me and the dog. 
you know, and I was free to spend my time and energy as I wish, and I can invest everything into fulfilling my purpose and potential. But now I've got people, rightly so, wanting some of my time and energy, mm. and and it's been really interesting for me over the last six months or so to to really work hard internally to try and shift a lot of my parameters and a lot of my conditioning and belief and programs and is that a process of letting go of control no because i I don't think it's control i think it's just different Mm. and it's just a different dynamic okay you know because as i said it was just me and i was free to roam the world and 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 do what i wanted to do but then the dynamics have changed because suddenly in the house there's this amazing woman and and this amazing little dude how do you reconcile that i haven't yet yeah i'm still because there's a real i think a very you know male trait is some sort of sense of freedom Mm. so how do we maintain that sense of freedom while also having this um, sense of responsibility, which I think is another big thing for men as well. Well, it's a seesaw for me, so it's a constant balancing act. Right. And some, so I, you know, a, a big attraction with Beck was that she said to me, "I understand that you're, you know, um, a, a global citizen, you know, and and you need to explore. You're an explorer. You you just trust the sea with an interview ship, and you just want to be out there all the time. Um, but then she said, but you know, well, I want to support you in that. And I was like, great, beauty, I finally found the perfect woman. She's going to be at home and, and sort of at, uh, in the port and I'll go sailing. I don't sail, but metaphorically, you know, <laughs> I'll go off and I'll come home and kiss her on the lips. G'day, doll. Bought you back I'm some back treasures. from my travels. Yeah, back from my travels and spend a couple of weeks there and then off I'd go again, you know. And, and that is me. That is my genuine and authentic self. But... If I want a relationship, a healthy relationship, if I want a woman in my life, like I don't have a child of my own and that's a constant in my head. I'm 40-something, I'm early 40s, 41 I'm going to say, and I don't have a a child of my own yet and that's a constant, oh, do I want a child and what does that mean and would that lock me down and would that, you know, and so I still don't even know what I'm doing there mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a constant uh, and I don't I don't dive into it and get stuck in it when those thoughts come I let them come because they're important and I I sit there and I meditate on them or whatever and, and then I'll just sort of allow them to process and do what they need to do but, um, but I think it's also important that you found a partner who understands and accepts you so it's like now you've got space to kind of reconcile what you need to yeah. in regards to that seesaw. But, but remember the, the – I'm not going to use that expression because that's not what she's doing. Uh, remember um, – if it's good, in, it's good in theory but it's much harder in practice. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand she says, I support you, but then I go off working in Thailand for a couple of weeks and leave her with just with the dog and the four-year-old and now three – chickens Mm -hmm. uh and she has so she's conditioned to having me there and relying on me and being there to cook dinner and you know whatever give her a chop out babysitting and and all that sort of stuff and then all of a sudden i'm gone so she 
she's she's in conflict as well because she can't rely on me she can't trust me to be there and then that sort of plants seeds of doubt and Mm -hmm. brings conflict into the relationship as well but i mean that's so now i i think relationships are about growth because i think we'll attract people into our life no one triggers us like people who who are in relationship with (laughs) right oh yeah now we're either going to keep triggering each other and not actually resolving anything or working on it that's when i think we start to disconnect and things become stale and after stale we resent each other or we use relationships not because i want someone else to make me happy but because we can both grow yeah we i'll tell you something me and melissa used to do when we decided we we're going to start dating because we obviously had the business and everything and at first and it's like it was a big decision like you know there was some chemistry there but like we were keeping a distance around it until she sort of said look there's something going on here and i'm like yeah i know i can't hold hold back my heart from you look brian there's only so (laughs) so many days you can be around me (laughs) without developing you know some sort of chemical reaction i i want to confess my feelings for you (laughs) this is our fourth podcast now and i'm just i'm in it this is our fifth just you don't even know what number podcast it is you're dumped. <laughs> the relationship's not got to the rocks start. early. <laughs> so we're like, all right, if we're going to start this relationship, let's sort of, you know, we like to fast track things. So um, what we would do for the first, I don't know how many months, for a while though, we would do something each week where we would uh, rate each other. Oh, okay? wow. So you'd imagine you've got a sheet, but we've both got a sheet. <laughs> Airy- such a therapist. I <laughs> know, oh, it's so, it's, it's, but if, if both parties are up for it, yes. this is, fucking amazing to, to oh, air I'm, your I'm shit. I'm, I'm, I'm right in taking notes. <laughs> so you've got, so you got the different areas of your life. So um, how have you uh, been with your family? How are you in the relationship? How's your mental or emotional state? Um, sex, how's sex been? Um, uh, how are you in your spiritual life? Uh, physically, how are you going? That kind of thing, right? And you've got a score of zero to 10. Mm-hmm. Now we sit there individually and I, for that week, I rate myself mm-hmm. out of 10 I and I rate, rate and I rate her out of 10. Yeah. Then we sit down with our sheets and go, yeah. all right. This is what I rate you. Physical. Yeah. I gave myself this. What did you give me? Mm. Uh, there, was, there was basically tears every week <laughs> for yeah, the first yeah, yeah. few. You know, yeah. I might be like, yeah, I gave myself a 9 out of 10 for sex. She's like, I gave you a 3. And <laughs> <laughs> um, th- these kind of really uncomfortable things, right? And, you know, I might be like family and she's giving herself on. I'm like, I gave you a two. I'm like, you need to be contacting your dad more. And now the whole thing was as soon as someone got an emotional reaction, there was no comforting or anything like that. You've got to completely own the emotion that you're feeling. Jesus. Okay. So, (laughs) Becky, you're listening. (laughs) I've got a template on my Google Drive. I'll give you a few copies before we go. I would get shot if I walked in the door with that. That's what I, I said. Both parties have to be <laughs> hey, into I it. I think it's an amazing tool. I have seen that before, and yeah. I think I think it is very, um, it's very raw. It's super raw. Yeah, but, the, but the, the, you have the, to deal with shit. You have to attend to. So stuff. the key is, yeah, you have to own. Because what we ended up doing was, and I think that's a very proactive way of doing it, and and it leads to a lot more health and growth and everything. Yeah, we came to a realization a few weeks ago that. We've spent so much energy putting out spot fires that we haven't been investing energy into growth and health and, and evolving and developing the relationship. We've just been, um, as I said, putting out the fires. It's got reactive as opposed to proactive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's because we keep triggering each other. Mm. Um, so 
Yeah. So that's how we kind of started to own the triggers. Yeah, right. And what, ha- what happened then, the flow on from that is whenever someone gets an emotional reaction now, like we'll tell the other person, but then we've got to own it. Yeah. So if I'm like, oh, I've got this thing on the way home, I'll be home about 8.30 and I get home at 9.30 or 10 and she gets pissed off at that, she'll tell me about it but then she'll try and work out why she's pissed off. Yeah, okay. Okay? and if if Because she had an expectation that you'd be home at 9.30? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe she's like, oh, he's off doing something stupid. <laughs> and But that's her. Oh, so th- in case she's going, her mind's running off down the rabbit warrens. Yes. And going into those cognitive distortions, yes. as a CBT would call them. Yeah. That, that jumping to conclusions, worst case scenario, catastrophizing. Yeah. And or you're if, not. Or if I'm just, maybe it's me and I'm just overreacting at something because um, I tell you this, this is um, one that we had early I hope, on. I hope we don't. And our relationships through talking about them on air, <laughs> airing out our dirty laundry. Sorry. I like it. I mean, I like being an open book. So early on, um, I was in my previous relationship, I was always like we were too enmeshed. So there was like we lost our own sense of identity. So yeah. I didn't have my freedom. I would feel bad if I ever did anything just for myself, like, you know, mm. and that kind of thing. So when I started dating, you know, Melissa, It'd be weird, like if I was going to catch up with the boys and watch the UFC on the weekend, I'd ask her, but she'd really notice my state. Like I'd ask in kind of a sheepish kind of way. Would it have been a, a, like a child asking a parent? Yep. Yeah, and, and like expecting them to say no, no but, but yeah. wanting them to say yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that wasn't my ex-partner's fault because she wouldn't no. really say it. it. was just, this is just how that relationship dynamic was. So um, she would always bring that up to me. She goes, I'm not my ex-partner's yeah. name and then I'm like oh that's right and so we had to keep kind of working through that to a point where I, I felt confident now that I can yeah. sort of do what I want and have my own independence but that example of you coming home an hour late is a really common one I think uh, and what tends to happen and I'm not saying Mel did or didn't I, I have no idea but what a lot of people tend to do male or female is go diving into those rabbit warrens and finding all the worst case scenarios and then when the person gets home, they've worked themselves up into such an emotional state that they are completely irrational, completely illogical, they're not present, not able to communicate clearly or concisely to a find resolution. All they wanted to do is to express their pain and suffering and project that onto the person walking through the door. Based on a story that they created. Exactly. Yeah. But, but it's because you make me unhappy. And the dude walking or the woman walking through the door is not responsible for that person's happiness. Yes. And that's what I think we need to start owning more is our happiness. Yes. And And I I find it hard to, uh, something I I keep having to check in on with myself is is a better way of saying it, is is to be compassionate towards people in suffering because I see an endless amount of people not being responsible for their happiness and, and... the, the, the one golden rule if you come and work with me is to understand that you are responsible for your happiness and so people are walking around it's like like physically they're walking around going it's not not my responsibility to eat well or to go to the gym or exercise yet I have an expectation that I shouldn't have too much body fat that my organs should be in a good way that my muscles should be healthy and all this sort of stuff so they're walking around with this expectation I should be healthy but I'm not actually going to do anything to create that that health and that's happening on a mental level or emotional level and 
all these dudes and people come into me and I'm so unhappy. I'm like, well, what, what are you doing to make yourself happy? And there's this pregnant pause and... <laughs> huh? You, you, you fucking what? You what? What? what what's the annoyer? <laughs> and th- th- there's this very real... Um, lack of uh, it's an ignorance in, in a literal sense not judgmental it's a it's a oh, what, what do you mean I'm oh, there's things I have to do in order to keep my mind in a positive mental state yeah. what yeah it's like, no go and learn more Pythagoras instead of learning yeah. how to look after well unless you. that makes you happy <laughs> if you were really into it no you're right I think more in that story I listened to uh, a, a podcast with Byron Katie oh, yeah. um recently who I love she's awesome and um, she would talk about how she had a daughter who was an alcoholic and it was really bad like she was getting hospitalized and that and there'd be nights you know where she was waiting for the phone call because she hadn't come home yet and she's like oh she's gonna be dead or Mm. that kind of thing and she said it's all just stories so I would sit there and just say what's the actual truth of the situation so she'd be at home waiting for the daughter to come home all these stories going on and she'd just break it down and just say concerned mother sitting in a chair yeah that's it. Yeah, I don't have to create any more story mm. around that. But that's what our minds, if left unattended to and untrained, more specifically, that's what our minds mm. do by nature, is that they will create these stories and epic stories, epic sagas. Yeah, you know, our minds are capable of creating Lord of the Rings trilogy. You know, that is a story, that is a saga. None of it's true, yeah. and we do the same thing in our personal lives as well. And when I believe because of what my mind did once upon a time and where it took me and what it created, it's so dangerous to leave our minds untrained and unattended. And the the mental health pandemic that's happening in the world, like I read the other day, it's costing us $19 billion a year or something, the, the impact of mental health. Wow. Because it's not people missing work and healthcare system. Everything. And yeah, yeah. It's yeah. because everyone, no one's... No one's learning this shit. No one. Everyone's like, okay, let's let's meditate and and just uh, you know, which is nice. But then, uh, how much profit a pharmaceutical company is making, and how much tax are they paying back to the government? Yeah, exactly. I'm getting conspiracies over here. Yeah, yeah keep going. Take your tin hat off for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, and I think my the most successful clients I have are the ones that walk out of the first, second, third appointment with me with this sense of I am responsible for my happiness. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I've got yep. a client at the moment. I've got a six-week, a 12-week, and a 12-month program. I've got a, a, a dude who's gone through the six-week and then he went through the 12-week. And he's, he, we've just had a session the other day and now he's going to go into the 12-month. Now, um, he is a hero to me because of his dedication to himself. It's taking him a lot longer to learn and to deconstruct and then reconstruct and all that stuff. But you know where he is today in, in terms of where he was before his first program, he's miles ahead. All right, but he's got he's got that much more to do. Whereas Darren, our guest last week, came and did a six week program. Bang, massive turnaround. So. There's no, I don't, I don't like putting a time frame on it for people, and you should by the end of this program be here. Um, but it's, it's that what you, 
you will go far if you yeah. embrace and accept this I am responsible. I like the the kind of yeah, the garden analogy. So the way you're saying it's like we've got this big yard mm-hmm. and we've just left it for 20, 30 years. <laughs> and Overgrown. Then we open the back door and we're like, fuck, there's weeds everywhere. Bless I can't gardener. see shit. Exactly. And then we sit there and just look at the garden and just go, why isn't it a beautiful garden? Why isn't it a beautiful garden? It's too hard to weed it's it. It's too hard to weed it's it. Too yeah, hard. yeah. It's too big. It's too overwhelming. Where do I start? I'm yeah. not good at weeding. My partner should do it. Yeah. My boss should do it. Yeah, I can't believe they haven't come and weeded it yet. <laughs> but it's too hard. It's I too don't hard. know how to. But um, then if people get to your place of empowerment where they're going to take charge they'll go out and start pulling a few weeds but imagine what it takes to come to that place and you and i had to do it within ourselves and i know the depths i had to go to to find Mm. this um power energy whatever it is and go fuck it it needs weeding it's my (laughs) garden yeah that's it it's oh this is my garden it's it looks like this because i have neglected and i don't have a gardener i have neglected it yeah and it's mine and it's run wild yeah and And, now and i'm unhappy with it because i've done nothing to do i get out what i put in yeah and i've put nothing into it yeah so people are running around, we're looking out on the highway here, and there's people driving past. How many of these thousands of people that are driving past are in this conscious awareness, how many of them are woke and understanding that if they have a garden, it's theirs. If it's a shit fight, it's their responsibility. I want to put an asterisk next to that because you have to factor in mental illness and there are some people that don't have a capacity to tend to their own gardens, mm-hmm. um, but we're talking about the majority, the of vast people. majority. Yeah, yeah. So it's a good place to wrap up. I think. I think so too. So take away, just sit there for a minute after listening to this, and, and close your eyes, and imagine. Let, let it come to mind what what your garden currently looks like, and who you're expecting to come and weed it, and who you're expecting to water it, and to feed it, and to nurture it, and to make it grow. And if anyone else but you comes to mind first and foremost, you might need to do a bit of rearranging of the hierarchy. Yeah, and I think as well what. Have a think about what laws or obligations are you feeling in relationships with partner, family, friends, and most importantly yourself. Mm, because you, you you don't have to operate in that sense of duty. Yes. Yeah. If, if it's if it's toxic, then yeah. Look after yourself is what we're saying. Look after yourselves and get, each other. Get some ramen, Edgerson ramen in <laughs> Southland, people. Official sponsor. <laughs> without knowing it alright that's all for this episode guys Uh, hit us up at wokeblokes at hotmail.com wokeblokes podcast wokeblokes podcast at hotmail.com Instagram yep uh, if you're on uh, iTunes or wherever you're listening to this give us a five star rating that would help heaps and it would just feed our egos undeniably and subscribe uh, subscribe uh, keep up to date and yeah we'll speak to you all soon peace peace Thank you for tuning in to the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much and we'll see you all next time.